Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Hey friends, this introduction was recorded on June 6th, 2020. The interview was recorded on May 15th, 2020. I'm pleased to bring you two episodes featuring the work of Jacqueline Lawton, playwright, dramaturg, producer, and advocate for access, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the American theater. In this episode, along with director Jamika Holloway Burrell and dramaturg Jules Odendahl James, you'll hear Jacqueline discuss her new play, 19. 19 was commissioned by the Women's Theatre Festival in celebration and reckoning with the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. 19 is a socio-political drama following a multiracial family who find themselves in the middle of the fight for equality and divided over the right to vote. 19 received a public sharing through the UNC Process Series in February of 2020, and there will be a staged reading at the Women's Theatre Festival on July 11th, 2020 at 7.30 p.m., so put that in your calendar. You may have noticed that many of the 2020 Artist Soapbox episodes have focused on playwrights, playwriting, and new play development, and that is certainly the case for this episode. The wonderful guest trio of Jacqueline, Jamika, and Jules digs into playwriting topics such as translating a historical event into a contemporary piece, deciding what story to tell and who should be the center of the story, the development process and the roles of director, dramaturg, playwright, and much more. In just a moment, I will read the guest bios so our conversation can begin, but before that, some historical context. Regarding the 19th Amendment, I have included links in the show notes, and you are always invited to read and conduct your own thoughtful research in order to deepen your understanding of this topic and the struggle to extend the right to vote beyond just theory into practice. However, as a review, 100 years ago, this August, the 19th Amendment was ratified and added to the Constitution. Amendment 19 reads as follows. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Here are a few points to keep in mind. Women first organized and collectively fought for suffrage at the national level in July of 1848. The victory of the 19th Amendment in 1920, 70 years later, was the result of decades of struggle, agitation, advocacy, and protest against misogyny and patriarchy. Women marched and protested for the right to vote. Women were imprisoned, tortured, and beaten for participating in these protests. Although many activists in the early women's movement were abolitionists, white women discriminated against black women from within the suffrage movement despite the important work conducted by black suffragists. Especially in the post-Civil War Southern USA, the mainstream, aka white, suffrage movement perpetuated racially discriminatory practices and condoned white supremacist ideologies in order to garner Southern support. 
Speaking of the South, here is a North Carolina-specific note, and I am reading this verbatim from the nps.gov site. You'll see the link in the show notes. Quote, By the time the 19th Amendment reached the North Carolina State Legislature in August of 1920, 35 other states had already ratified it. Many Americans thought North Carolina would become the 36th and final state to ratify the amendment, but many of the state representatives could not agree on whether or not to recognize women's suffrage rights. Then news came that Tennessee had ratified the amendment, making it the 36th state to ratify the 19th Amendment. In 1971, 50 years later, North Carolina ratified the 19th Amendment, end quote. So, after the passages of the 15th Amendment in 1870 and the 19th Amendment in 1920, states found other ways to discriminate based on race and gender, to prevent voting, and to control the outcomes at the polls. Poll taxes, literacy tests, and other discriminatory practices led to the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965, which strengthened legal protections for black voters. However, if you've been paying attention at all, you know that voter suppression is still a big, huge, ugly thing. Friends, I don't need to tell you, but also I feel compelled to tell you that this year's November election is hugely important and will be of great consequence. The months leading up to November are critical to the outcome. Please do what you can. Get involved, donate, share information, help people get to the polls, protest, make change, do the work for each other, for our country. And now for the bios. Jacqueline E. Lawton is a playwright, dramaturg, producer, and advocate for access, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the American theater. Her produced plays include Bloodbound and Tongue-Tied, The Hampton Years, Intelligence, Mad Breed, and The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Currently, she is an assistant professor in the Department of Dramatic Art at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and dramaturg for Playmakers Repertory Company. She is also Dramatist Guild's regional representative for North Carolina. Jamika Holloway Burrell is a freelance director and producer. She is the founding artistic director of Black Ops Theater Company, lead curator for the Bull City Black Theater Festival in Durham, North Carolina, and a founding company member of Bulldog Ensemble Theater. An alumnus of the Lark Play Development Center Apprenticeship Program, Jamika has been an assistant director with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and Playmakers Repertory, and more recently, an associate director with Duke Performances at Duke University. Her directing work has appeared at Northern Stage in Vermont, Shakespeare in Detroit, Classic Stage in New York City, Man Bites Dog Theater in Durham, the Department of Theater at Dartmouth College, Duke University's Department of Theater Studies, and the National Black Theater Festival. Jules Odendahl-James is an artist-scholar who has been making theater in the Triangle for two decades. For the COVID-19 interrupted season of 2019 through 2020, she directed As You Like It for Duke University and served as dramaturg for the Zoom reading-slash-recording of Fefu and Her Friends at Duke University and as dramaturg for the upcoming world premiere of Edges of Time by Jacqueline Lawton. Other recent directing credits include In a Word by Lauren Yee with Bulldog Ensemble Theater, Men on Boats by Jacqueline Backhouse with Justice Theater Project. 
Jules is a founding member of the Bulldog Theater Ensemble after serving as an associate artistic director at Manbites Dog Theater from 2014 through 2018. She is an associate member of SDC and a member of the Literary Managers and Dramaturgs of the Americas. Her new play dramaturgy work with Jacqueline Lawton spans five years and over 10 plays. Enjoy this episode. Hello, friends, Jacqueline, Jules, and Jamika. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with me today. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. I'd like to talk about, Jacqueline, your play, 19. And as you know, I'm very interested in how we as theater makers take a historical event and put it in front of a contemporary audience. And I'd like to start with the genesis of this piece, both practically speaking, so how it was commissioned and kind of how you got the ball rolling logistically, and then also touch on the creative genesis of the piece, thinking about what story you chose to tell, what historical input inspired you. So I'll just I'll just raise that those questions and let you take it from there. So the Women's Theater Festival was approached by the North Carolina League of Women Voters, and they wanted to collaborate on a play that told the story of the 19th Amendment, how the 19th Amendment came to be. But they wanted to tell the story in a very truthful, on-the-ground way that acknowledged that for Black women voters, this was, not everyone got the right to vote immediately. It was a struggle for Black women voters and that Southern white women and men were working very, very hard to prevent Black voters from, you know, gaining the right to vote. So they had a very specific proposal in mind because the theme of the 2021 season is family. So they wanted an interracial family where the morning of the vote, some women got the right to vote in the family, some women had not, but they'd both been fighting for the right to vote. And so I was very excited about this idea because it had complication from the very beginning. There there was conflict inherently involved. But as I talked to Jules, um, who I knew I wanted to work with as a dramaturg, because I don't write a play without Jules, <laughs> it's true, it's very true, I had to very immediately confront the fact that miscegenation laws, so laws preventing an intermingling of the races, were in place in 1920. So that was going to be very complicated. The questions we had to answer fairly quickly were, who is the center, who's at the center of the play? Who's in this marriage? You know, is it a is it a black woman in a white family married into a white family? Is it a white woman married into a black family? And where is the power going to be most compelling and most interesting? So that that for me is the beginnings of the play, um, the beginnings of the iterations of development of the play. Jules, do you have any other re- rememberings from that from that time? No, I mean I think you're right that grappling with a circumstance, right, that was reality, right? We know that there were interracial couples at the time, right? But this wasn't legal. So figuring out both how to dramatize that and to make it not the crux of the play, right? It's not about the marriage per se. And yet the marriage is what structures a lot of the ability of both sets of women, you know, who they're married to and what access they have to capital and to society, 
helps them move and negotiate this notion of voting, I think in a way that we felt would be relatable to audiences because we don't, we take our voting rights somewhat for granted. um, And we don't have a lot of stories that tell about these kind of on the ground efforts, particularly from a non-white perspective, right? We have lots of movies that focus on UK and US white women and different classes of white women, but not necessarily the work of uh, women of color at the time that were very invested and v- had a lot of networks, right? So it's a, a real absent history, which is always what I, I love about working with Jacqueline, even if this wasn't a commission, most of her work is about unearthing these things that were real, that are real, but we don't hear a lot about it. We don't, those folks that don't get to be necessarily at the forefront of stories, she makes sure that they are. So really figuring out how to make that historically accurate, but also dramatically interesting, which is always the, I think the thing you were pointing out in the act of translation, right? We have to, we play with, we're not about doing a documentary per se, this is fictionalized. And with that comes the ability to heighten certain details and really bring in a way of looking at the world that both reflects reality, but is more than reality, because that's the sweet spot in theater. And I, I just wanted to say, too, that, you know, recently, like this week, I think the attorney general said something about history is written by the winners. And it really struck me in thinking about this play is that art, I think that's why art is very necessary, because art is the space where we don't necessarily hear from the winner's point of view. They usually make an appearance, but they're not the ones driving the story. This is the place where we can actually hear other histories, other realities that can really press against what we think we've been, what we've told or what we've learned about a particular event. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of power in the choice that we as playwrights and theater makers make. So tell me what you think about this. I was thinking about dramatizing historical events in terms of managing three streams of time because you have the past to consider, you have the present to consider, and then you have potentially the future to consider. So what future are we pointing to with this interpretation of the past events in the present moment? Do you know what I mean? Is that something that you consider? I think that's such a compelling question because I actually don't think about time in that linear way. And that mostly has to do with the fact that as I'm writing, it's such an ancestral process for me because in order to dismantle white supremacy, one has to decenter whiteness. My entire life is that. My entire existence as a black woman is a decentering process. So for me, I'm always writing from a point of view of I am here because those who came before me survived. And my existence, the hope is that because I was able to exist pushing the way that I did, those coming after me will have it a lot easier and or will have pathways and tools and their sinews will be built stronger uh, because there is a recording of now that's taking place. So I'm so fascinated by that, by the trajectory of the question that places a linear structure on time. And I know that that's a real thing. It's just that's not how I write. So one of the things that, that excited me about working with Jamika as director 
is because when Jamika's in a room with actors, Jamika, your presence is so strong. And there's an unearthing of text that you do that is a quick embodiment of the text into the soul of the of the actors. And it's not just that we're reading and we're constantly aware of breath. We're constantly aware of, of how we are engaged with each other, but we're also up on our feet. And as a teacher of playwriting, I do vocal warm-ups with the students. I do movement exercises with the students, always as a reminder that the text is meant to be alive. So I don't, I'm probably not answering your question. I'm not doing it on purpose this way. I'm just trying to explain how I write the stories I write. It's always now. There's always a relevance mm. to now because my existence wouldn't be here had those before me not survived. So they're always present uh, with me. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, and part of this conversation is just getting a window into the different ways in which people make new work. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating to hear about the way that you do it. Jamika, I want to bring you into this conversation and talk about how you are approaching new work. I know that you have recently been doing a lot of work with Citrus by Celeste Jennings. So you, you're deep into this idea of new play development, but can you talk about your relationship to 19 and reference some of the things that Jacqueline just mentioned? Uh, sure. I think for me, new work is just so exciting because of the relationships that one gets to forge inside of a process of new work. Um, and so I think this is one of the one of the first pieces that Jacqueline and I are getting to work on together. And I think a big part of the process for me is really trying to just lean into understanding Jacqueline more, her process, her writing. That just feels like a, a, a first step for me, just getting the chance to just on a personable level, understand the person that you're working with. I think that's half the battle if we sort of like get to know each other on a on a familiar level and and also still be you know keeping it professional and all that jazz. And uh one of the things that really drew me to this piece when I got the chance to read it was the sort of hope and optimism that these characters um the first two characters that we meet that they had and also then that sense of betrayal by these like white women who they who were family to them. The process for me is just with new new plays is really just trying to get to know the playwright and so that I have a handle on their voice when they're not in the room. And the good thing is Jacqueline is in the room and she's so invested in her processes. That's really great for me because, again, I'm really just trying to get to this place where I feel like, in a sense, I can complete her sentences and think like her when she's not in the room so that then I can better shape her story. Because for me, I'm, I'm working in, I'm working in service to the story, but I'm also working in service to a playwright's vision. And that for me is the most important thing in a process is to make sure that I'm getting it right. Obviously layering on my own um, lenses and interpretations on a work is, is fun, but that's not the crux of why I'm doing the work. It really is. I, I feel chosen. It feels like a calling when a director has made a decision in their mind that they want to work with you. And so for me, I want to rise to the occasion by feeling concrete in what I understand about the playwright. Jacqueline, would you talk a little bit about 
let's see how to frame this. What I'm trying to get at is I think there's a little bit of a mystery around what it's like for for playwrights to work with directors and dramaturgs and other people associated with the production. Um, When I was coming through school, we didn't work with new plays. We worked with playwrights who would never be in the room. And so there was a lot of mystery around like, well, when you actually have a live playwright there, like, what do you do with that person? How, what are some best practices, both for the playwright, but also for the people who surround that person? Do you, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I got, I feel like that I was very lucky because um, at UT Austin, we had the opportunity to work with professional playwrights as students. So we were in the room as as playwrights were developing their scripts. I, you know, we were either actors or assistants to the playwrights or we're learning how to be dramaturgs. So I got to learn really early on about that, about a new play development process. Like, and for each individual playwright, it was different. So for instance, you have playwrights who loved having the actors talk immediately about their experience of the play through their point of view. And some playwrights only wanted to talk with the director and dramaturg or some playwrights didn't want to have conversation at all afterwards. They just wanted to take what they had experienced, go away, come back with the new, uh, with their new, you know, new pages the next day. And then after grad school, I worked at Woolly Mammoth. So, and there are, you know, new plays all the time. So I learned, I learned another process. And then I was a part of the Kennedy Center's inaugural playwrights intensive, where I got to meet a lot of directors and playwrights. So I, I, my formative years were spent with real life playwrights in the room with directors who love new plays with really thoughtful actors who understood play analysis and understood how to play within characters and understood how to talk about the journey of the play through their point of view, but also from the point of view of a human being in the world. So Mm -hmm. I feel like my process is now an amalgamation of all of that, where I really love being in the room, hearing actors talk about the play. Like I love having, I mean, I'm also an annoying playwright. Jules will attest to this because (laughs) I want the feedback immediately. Like I want to know what is working, what isn't working. How can I push through for clarity? How can I push through for more humor? So much so that I'm looking over the shoulder of the dramaturg as they're writing. So I'm very hungry for feedback. So in a new play development process for me, I love it. I want to be a fun, joyful, deeply collaborative space where, and I, I don't like to, I don't exploit actors. I I like to have them there for the time we need for as much time as they want to talk after release them and then work with the director and the dramaturg on the play. So that's, I mean, that's my process. And so in terms of like creative process, when we, when I got this commission, interracial family um, suffrage movement and act of betrayal um, happens But then I also knew that it was an hour long play because we wanted conversations to happen after the play around voting rights issues. We wanted for people to sign up to vote. So we knew it was an hour long play. And I the questions that I had to answer is who needs to be in the world of the play? Also aware that even before COVID-19, regional theaters need to be conservative in their spending. So for character play, who are the people who will spend the most time on the stage? Because I wanted to center it on the two black women, Adelaide, the lead character, her best friend, Florence. We knew that. And Jules really helped me with this. We knew we wanted to spend the most time with the two of them throughout the journey. But then we have the mother-in-law who is just delicious. I mean, this, the (laughs) actors playing this character. Oh my goodness. But so one exciting thing is that after we heard the read through, 
this was part of the process series, the UNC process series. We got to share an excerpt of the play. After we read through with, with the whole play with the actors, people wanted more. And of course I understood, okay, I have an hour, but what more can we add? And I just was able to add a scene with Mabel, the mother-in-law, Genevieve, the daughter of Mabel and Adelaide. And it's, I'm very excited. No one has read it yet, but I'm very excited about this scene. And it wouldn't have come if we hadn't had that reading. If Jamika hadn't said, I want to see how she responds to the vote having been passed after she worked so hard not to have the vote passed. So for me, like that's such a wonderful space where I get to build the play and make it stronger because of the contributions of the collaborators in the room. Yeah. And I just wanted to, I wanted to add to that, this conversation about process that I think number one for me in a process is just recognizing that no one process is going to be the same, even when you're working with the same playwright, you know, as we're telling different stories, like the processes around like how we engage each other in the story is always constantly shifting. And I think one of the things about Jacqueline's processes that are most exciting for me is that there is always a shift. I think that so far we've been a part of two processes together. And some of the things that stay the same is that Jacqueline is always going to feed her people, (laughs) 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 which, which which I love. Listen, there always needs to be a little notch on the table, but the way that we engage the different people that we get in in the room with is always like slightly different. And there's something exciting about that for me. Well, I think food is definitely a best practice that we all should remember, you know, I'm, I am absolutely the worst about feeding my people, which is why I usually have somebody around to remind me. I'm like, can you be with the food? Cause I'm just going to unwrap and eat whatever I have, like, but I don't think about feeding other people. And that's super important. Yes, absolutely that. I want to step back a little bit to some of this looking over Jules's shoulder. Can you take us into the moment of like, what is happening in the room when you are having a reading or a rehearsal or the process series, you can pick whatever you want to talk about. What does that moment look like? How does it function And then I'd like to ask each of you what you are looking for based on your role. What are you kind of tracking in that moment? Jules, you start. Well, I was going to say that there's usually stuff that's happened prior to the room, right? The room is where the actors sort of get first peek. Um, Usually I've seen if not one or two versions or Jacqueline and I have had sort of conversations about where her thinking has lined up. And I will, you know, leave the structure of how the other things happen. Yes, we are all fed always. And it is, I think, just a way to build community, particularly for readings or workshops, which is really difficult. You're asking actors to step into, to give you a kind of full world when they've never even seen the characters and they've never met each other. So whatever you can do to make that space feel communal from the start and food and just sort of genialness and the willingness to say, this is, there's no expectation of a particular kind of way this goes, but it wants Mm -hmm. to go in a kind of joyful ebullience, you know, when we're all together Mm -hmm. and setting that tone, you can get so much more from people because immediately they start to feel they're in a, they're not in just any space right? They're there in a space that starts to feel real. And that I think comes through in their performances. But then we're all sort of sitting and I'm trying to listen with two 
perspectives. I'm trying to listen through what I know and have this great sort of insider view from talking with Jacqueline and knowing very much about all details of the backstory. And I'm trying to anticipate listening as someone who's never heard this before so that I can give two sets of well, that my response can be filtering those two perspectives, right? Which is the drama for my practice, that's the dramaturg's position, ultimate insider and brand new person who's never seen anything. And somewhere in between is where you lie to try and and find because you don't want to explain everything, but you also don't want to be missing people because this is such an in-crowd kind of space. What about you, Jacqueline? What are you paying attention to in these moments? Well, I am trying to feed the people. So that's one of the things. <laughs> it's true. Like, so someone has to be the first person to eat. And I normally the food is food that I can't eat. So like I try to make plates anyway. So that process happens. It happens every time. But as I'm sitting there, so the thing that's happening, which is, I don't know how to stop this. I'm still writing. So the actors will, and I need the actors to keep going. So like, as like they're, they're reading the play, they're becoming alive to me. And that allows me to actually start over in a way to try to capture. So I'm actually rewriting as I'm hearing the play being read. So, you know, oftentimes there'll be a typo or something. And so I'll have to be told what page that I'm on. And it's not because I'm actually not, I'm actually really truly listening to them. I'm just a little bit behind them in the play. But then I'm also eager to sort of, I'm also doing revisions at the same time. I'm cut, I'm working to cut exposition. And the thing that I have to, my practice is to allow it to be what it is in the moment and know that I have time to go back and make adjustments. But what I'm, my instinct is to do the work as it, as it happens, because I have the luxury right now of, of actors reading the play to me. And then, of course, having Jules next to me, I'm getting I mean, we spend a lot of time, a lot of time talking about the plays, like a lot of time, whether it's on Facebook, on email, on text message, because I'm always thinking about the play and I'm asking Jules questions. And we are often working on multiple plays at the same time. So I have to be like very clear that this question is for this play, this version of the play. I mean, it's so exciting to be in the room when the actors are reading the play because, I mean, it, this is it, right? I mean, the 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 beauty then becomes when the audience comes, right? Because that's when the whole process is now complete because then you have the audience, which makes the actors come alive sometimes even more. But the other thing that's really exciting is once the actors are in the room, I'm able to start to imagine what the play looks like in that three-dimensional form, how are they interacting with each other? Are there hand gestures that need to happen? Are there laughs? Is there are there pauses? Is there breath being taken? You know, also as playwrights craft language, they're often crafted in complete sentences, complete well-written sentences. And sometimes there are dashes where we know interruptions will happen. But the thing I love too is that as actors are reading and oftentimes for the first time or maybe for the you know second time, but the first time out loud, their own personalities show up into the work. Mm -hmm. And that allows me to make even more distinctive um, voices come through to the play. So it's a very, it's a very active space when I'm in the room with, with the actors, with Jules, with uh, my director, 
really again I really love this collaboration with Jamika. She's a very different type of director than anyone I've worked with in the most exciting way because there's a real crystallizing of humanity and realness and groundedness that happens. It's very exciting. So it's a lot of there's a lot of work that's happening in the room. I've never settled. Like I can't sit back and just listen. I don't even know what that would feel like to be honest. I may need to practice it one day though <laughs> to see. What do you think, Jamaica? What what are you trying to do in those I, moments? I think yeah, just like Jacqueline, I'm also like sort of I'm trying to streamline, but I'm also like all over the place. But I think one of the first things that I want to do when I get into the space with actors is encourage them to be bold and to make bold choices so that then the playwright, you know, has something to to sink their teeth into when they get home, things to question, things to examine. I think, so. you know, for me, like I want us to make sure that we're grounded in what the story is and what the playwright wants from this story. But also like, I just want the actors to feel this sort of freedom to then also feel like they can make choices. And I, like what Jacqueline said, um, so, so so many times, like the, the actual voice of the actor starts to like impede into, into, into the work. And so I want to encourage them to bring more of that out so that then like especially in a new play development process and we're not right now exclusively thinking about performance like we're thinking about the development of it so I really just want to encourage them to see what parts of themselves they can bring to the work I think another part for me, a part of the process is really trying to, like I said, just grapple with the playwright's voice and intention. And I want to make sure that I'm on the right track first before I feel like I can give out any direction to anybody. So really just trying to to get myself in tuned with the world, with the voice, and then the story that we want to tell. So I'm doing that work. And then I'm also like, I'm also like Jacqueline and Jules already have this like sustained relationship. They work together a lot. So I'm also like trying to look over and see what the two of them are talking and chatting about. Cause I want to be inside of their head as well. But for me, I, I'm really trying to establish in the new play process, like establish what the vision is for the piece. Jacqueline, do you have a sentence that encapsulates the vision for your plays, or is this something that you're determining as a part of this team moving forward? Sentence meaning like what I'm trying to, like the big question of the world of play, you mean? I don't know. I mean, I think what Jamaica is saying is like super interesting. Like what is the vision for the play? And my question has to do with how do we determine what that vision is? Is that something that the playwright hands over or is that something that is determined along the way? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I've always looked at my plays as I have the characters, the world, there's a, there's a clear world that I'm creating that gets built upon by designers, by the director, by the actor. So that, that, final product, you know, which is of course, you know, ephemeral, right? Because each night the performance is different. It's a shared vision of all the collaborators in the room. That's what I feel. And, and, and I work in service to the script as much as anyone else works in service to the script and the stories. So, you know, I have some big, bold ideas coming into plays that, you know, may get me there, but don't necessarily need to live in the world of play. 
and I will cut. I'm, I am, I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. I will cut. I know. And I, I, I know, I know I cut, I often cut too quickly, but, um, but yeah, I, I work in service to the story and the characters as much, I think, as anyone else. And I think each iteration of the play through a different collaborators will feel different, but at the center of the story and characters is that initial spark that, you know, from the world, the play itself. I remember being in undergraduate and learning from a set designer that we had to come up with a sentence to describe the world of the play and to boil everything down to a sentence. And it seemed like a vi- I, I was terrible at it because I was sort of like, I don't, what is this? I could see how it would get you to kind of crystallize your ideas, but I also felt it was tremendously constraining. And when I started to work on new plays, the thing that was so exciting about it was not that... I understand there was a there was a world, right? But the notion of boiling things down, right, or getting it all into a box, this was very much a tradition of looking at plays, a, a very particular kind of play construction. And I think plays both emerge and take so many different forms, or at least that's what I like about plays, that I could say that there are probably and and one day when there is a book written about Jacqueline as a playwright this will be a thesis of, of an academic, right? But there, so there's a universe and there's a continuity to, to the things that drive a Lawton, Jacqueline Lawton play. But at the same time, every world, every, every process is slightly different. It is being animated by uh, an intense kind of curiosity about people and stories that have not been told before. And I think that, you know, both what's been nice as a collaboration, I think I've said this to you, Jacqueline, is that there's certain things that we do really well. We kind of hold each other in check, Mm -hmm. right? So there are impulses that I can sort of see happening and say, maybe not, or absolutely, this is the time for that sort of thing. And then there's a way of working that I think Jacqueline's uh, (laughs) accepted from me, like when I'm writing notes and I don't want her to see, it's not because that something's bad. It's that I want to process the way that I convey Mm -hmm. it because I want to hear of it in all sorts of different ways. So it's this beautiful working on a project and then working on many projects is both the individual evolution of a story and the evolution of an entire working process which is so wonderful. I've never been able to work with one playwright sustained for this length of time. I hope I am a a, a good collaborator in that sense because it's been such a gift to me to watch somebody, watch work evolve in such an amazing way and each process being both the same and different and then feeling like I am able to give better insight for the next piece we work on because we've worked on other plays together. I must say that as a playwright, that kind of question that I asked you, Jacqueline, makes me feel very surly. Like you answered it much more gracefully than I would when people ask me to boil down the world of my play into one sentence. (laughs) I'm like, I, you, isn't that your job? Like, what am I, a marketer? Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) I can give you a synopsis, but I've never actually been asked to do that. Thank goodness. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I was just going to say that I think what, what I mean when I say, you know, me just trying to grapple with the playwright's vision is that I understand that, that we're all coming to this piece in the script from very different walks of life. So we're all going to like on first 
intake, you know, take it in very differently, just based on like our view and perception of the world. And for me, it is about sort of stripping away at first those things that I immediately am drawn to and lean into and trying to to sub- not substitute that, but at first just really get to the crux of what the playwright wants to say. And then I can begin to layer my voice and my ideas on top of that. So I think the thing is that I want to just like take me and the way that I examine work out of the process at first so that then, so I can really lean into what Jacqueline wants or any playwright and, and then build on top of it. It sounds to me like your approach to this is thoughtful and considerate and also acknowledges that this is a complicated job to work with somebody to build something that's multidimensional and layered. And so I think you absolutely implied that in what you were saying. I just latched onto that because I was like, wait a minute, I don't know how we do this. Like, (laughs) how do people do this? (laughs) We are coming to the end of our time together. There's so much more that we could talk about. Is there anything that you would like to touch on before we wrap up? Well, I think the the one thing I want to share about this Play 19 that I think is very exciting is that to receive a commission where they say, point blank, we want to make sure that this is not a glossed over telling of a very hard and painful moment in history is is really quite wonderful. And that I've been given really free reign to go as deep and dark and, and with hilarity as I wanted to um, with the script. And I think that's really incredibly exciting um, as a as an artist to know that this moment in time that I had been wanting to actually write about, but just hadn't carved out space for because of other commissions and projects, that it's actually going to happen. And to be able to work with Jamika and Jules, both of whom have lived here in the you know Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill area much longer than me, has been really exciting because this is a story that's Raleigh and Durham based. So I'm speaking to a community that really knows itself and it, it has its own personality, has its own identity language. So to be able to work with folks who who live here, and especially Jamaica, who is, I mean, this is this is your home, you know, that's been just really, really wonderful. And you know the artists that are here, um, you have long lasting relationships with people that are here. It's quite an honor to be asked to tell such a story, such a rich, complex, and I think urgent story, particularly right now, because we're at a time right now that intersectionality is so necessary, and yet we have not figured it out. And and by we, not meaning Black folks, although Black folks do need to work on some intersectionality too. Mm -hmm. But there's like a writ large world that hasn't figured out intersectionality. And so I like in my writing to go to these critical moments where, oh, that's where we could have figured it out. That that moment right there, mm-hmm. 1920, what were y'all doing that you didn't figure this out in 1920? So that, that's also been really exciting to explore um, with this play. I just wanted to make sure to share that with you all. I hope this play propels us to examine our skewed relationship with America's historical events. I want our audiences to sort of understand um, how tactful and systemic exclusion has been and can be. And I want them to question the whys, the why for decades we've wanted to, um, to keep Black folk, people of color and women out of 
decision-making processes. I want white folks to take a look at the oppression of Black women by our allies or people that we feel allied with. That feels really pressing to me because I really do think we have this very rose-colored, we have rose-colored glasses lots of times when it comes to how we've, we as Americans have reached the point that we, where, where we are now. And I just want us to, I hope that this drives us to, to further examine um, historical events the way that they've been taught to us in the past. Yes, yes. All right. So now I have one more question. <laughs> this always happens. Towards the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned, Jacqueline, that part of the vision for this is that is having post-show discussions and conversations. And that seems to be an important part of this. So would you talk a little bit about how you imagine that might happen? What would that look like? Well, I think it could be one of a number of ways. Like I think a post-show discussion, you know, led by Jules as dramaturg with myself, with Jamika, with the cast is always exciting because audiences really do enjoy learning more about that process of from development to being in rehearsal to bringing it alive on stage. And I also think um, if we can get community leaders, whether they're, you know, grassroots activist organizations, feminist groups, specifically voting rights groups, like those people on stage talking about issues that should be in the forefront. I think those kinds of post-show discussions are also really wonderful. I learn a lot from the themed post-show discussions where you're bringing experts in the field around a particular theme. Um, so even so, so the women in the play, they are raising money for their section of the Negro Women's Voters League. So we have recipes from, you know, the 1910, 1920s in the, in the world of play. And I think even people who understand history through food, food ways and culture, mm-hmm. having those folks take part in a post-show discussion, particularly around thinking about where we are now as a country where there's so much food insecurity, where class is dictating health through access to food. I think that's such an important conversation to have in post-show. I mean, I can plan you a post-show discussion <laughs> around themes because I really love being in dialogue with really, really smart people. So that's what I'm imagining. But the, the theater also, Women's Theater Festival also wanted to make sure that people are registered to vote too. So we wanted to make sure that the uh, League of Women Theaters, that they were there, um, that we actually, you know, either had laptops set up or guided people through the process of how to register. But just to, you know, the right to vote is one that was hard earned mm-hmm. and folks lost their lives for it. So those who don't, vote. I do understand many reasons why to feel disillusioned, disenchanted by the process. I really want to encourage an active citizenry. So I, that, so that feels very exciting to have a play whose sole purpose is that, yeah. you know, in a way. Yeah. Thank you for this conversation and for the work that you do. I'm so grateful for all of your wisdom and I can't wait to experience the process of this, the continued development process of this, and the productions and performances along the way. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. For more information, please see the show notes and artistsoapbox.org. You can also listen to the six episodes of our new scripted audio fiction piece, The New Colossus, at thenewcolossuspodcast.com. Thanks so much.